Hello and welcome to Women Tech Charge. My name is Amri Imafidon and I'm your host. Today I'm super excited because I'm joined by the coolest professor, Professor Maya Panjik, who is Professor of Effective and Behavioural Computing at Imperial College London, but she's also the research head at the Sanson AI Lab in Cambridge. We can take, in fact, image of whomever, we can record the audio we want, and make this person, a video of this person from this photo, speak whatever audio we recorded on spot. What matters is your uh, trust in yourself. Sure, you will get no once, you will get no three times. Usually, at the end, you come to a place where they say yes to this idea. And I think it's really important, this pursue of, of, of your not dreams, it's more like your true ideas in which you believe. Thank you very much for joining me, joining us, being on the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> so you are a professor in all the coolest things that we have at the moment. When we talk about tech trends, we have AI, we have deep fakes. There's lots and lots of things that are part of your remit. But you're also with Samsung doing this as well, which is a rather large consumer brand. Um, before we go into what you do now, I want to roll back the clock a little bit only a couple of years. <laughs> How does one end up being a professor of computing at Imperial College? What was your journey to being this this top academic? So I'm born in Belgrade in Serbia. All my family was always studying. So going to the university was a regular thing. Okay. I started actually studying maths. I was very good in maths. So I started studying maths back in Belgrade, but then we had uh, quite a problem in the country. Mm -hmm. The country was in the war. At that time, my sister left for the Netherlands and I went to live with my sister. When I came to Netherlands, uh, they said to me that I cannot resume the studies just like that, that I have to start from scratch again. And which year were you in? I was actually in the fourth year of my studies. Oh my goodness. Yes, so they said like I have to retake everything. And um, so, but that actually was very interesting because that was also the 92 mm -hmm. uh, and they said first I have to learn the language and by the time I learned the language it was 93. Oh, In 1993 the internet came out. And that was, for me, really an important point in my life because I realized that, in fact, we could all be connected through that something called internet. Right. And that computers are actually enabling this. So it was like completely logical, in my opinion, step <laughs> to, instead of going to pure math, start studying computing. Right. So I did uh, the studies at the Delft University of Technology. I did my bachelor's, I think, in two years. And then I did my master's in another year. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, they asked me whether I want to stay for, for my PhD. And I said, sure, I mean, it's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And <laughs> also the topic was very interesting because uh, I was asked actually to do face analysis. Uh, so and to, this was in which year was this? this? Now we're talking about 1997. Wow, okay. So, um, so in principle, 
It was a very interesting uh, idea for me, and we started working on on automatic face analysis. And this was in the Netherlands? In in the Netherlands. Netherlands. So we were actually, at that time, in 1997, there was only uh, one group um, in University of California in San Diego, Mm -hmm. led by Teres Seinovsky, and uh, Marnie Bartlett at that time was um, his student and she was doing exactly the same automatic face analysis. Awesome. Two women either side exactly. of the... Exactly. There we go. And then we realized in 98, actually, that there is yet another group, okay. which is the group of Takeo Kanade and Jeffrey Cohn at Carnegie Mellon University, mm-hmm. who do the same. Mm-hmm. So there were three groups in the whole world, actually, that did these crazy things, which is automatic facial expression analysis rather okay. than just automatic facial, face analysis right. where you recognize people yeah okay and so that's how it started i stayed as an academic at the delta university of technology for another five years and at that time we were thinking as a family to move away so we came to uk and I came to Imperial College, so I applied just like everybody else mm-hmm. applies. At that time, I think it was 121 applicants who okay. applied. And they again said, you know, I was like associate professor at Delft. But when I came, they said, no, 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 no. You will start on the lowest level, assistant professor. <laughs> <laughs> and the dean at that time, actually, he was, he, he became dean later on, but he was the head of department, of computing department. He was saying, look, don't worry, because, you know, if you're doing well, the progression here is fast. And okay. he really he was, was true to his he word. He was true to his words. It's fantastic to hear your story, but it's not one that's that's typical specifically for, let's say, women and underrepresented groups. And it's something we come up against quite a lot is that, you know, you do have this kind of falling away of women. As we go up higher in the academic ranks, you have fewer and fewer women that stay in the discipline and stay within the field. So what is it that, I mean, other than... than good promotion (laughs) what is it that has kept you within academia and what are the kind of frustrations that you that you've had beyond you know being told to start again twice everybody copes with certain things not everything is accepted Mm. not everything is easy Mm. i mean all of this i think really what matters is your uh, trust in yourself and I think I learned that uh, when I was young, you know. Sure, people have different opinions, but if you believe truly in in something that you have as an idea, Mm. sure, you will get no once, you will get no three times, but, you know, at the end you will find you can also from all of these no's, you can learn what people don't didn't like, mm. what are the things you could work on more, what are the I- ideas or risks that you have to address. And once you have all of this, usually at the end, you come to a place where they say yes to this idea. And mm-hmm. I think it's really important, this pursuit of, of, of your, not dreams, it's more like your true ideas in which you believe for me, it was like, for example, the whole idea of recognition of 
uh, emotions and mental states from signals such as video signal of somebody's face or audio signals of somebody's voice, mm. it was pretty far-fetched, you know. I mean, how much we really know about psychology. If we are so good in psychology, why everybody has a problem, you know, to communicate yeah. with each other, you know. <laughs> so the, the, the whole issue is that you have to believe that this is possible. And I really think it's possible. And I think this technology can... Uh, actually allow me to see things that I, as a human, with my human capacity of the eye and the ear, cannot see. Mm -hmm. So this is really fantastic. And if you if you think of a technology as an enabler, this is something that can make this idea true. And then there is this whole cohort of, of applications where you can use these kind of things. Exactly. So that is what you have ended up doing as the professor, as part of your remit, as part of your work as well at Samsung. There's lots of technology within this facial expression recognition, as we can call it, that you've been doing since the, since the 90s, that you've been able to then extend out to lots of different uses. So can you explain to us uh, maybe some of the kind of core technologies in the work that you're doing before we talk about the uses for them? So the uh, you have, say, life and research before 2016, mm -hmm. and you have the life and research after 2016. <laughs> um, why? Because around 2016, that's actually pretty late, but say, around 2016, deep learning became really, really popular. Right. And the name of the game changed completely. Mm -hmm. Before that, we were using many various techniques uh, for computer vision and for machine learning. So how this whole thing works is you have a video signal. You have to analyze this video signal. So what is a video signal? A set of pixels, right, per image. And then you have a number of images per, per minute, right, yep. per second, yep. right? Mm -hmm. So what you need to uh, to do is... You analyze these pixels to find first the face. Once you find the face, you then can analyze the features in that one picture, like, mm -hmm. for example, uh, the edges uh, or, you know, where is, uh, the say, dark, where is light uh, part of the... And we call the, this feature maps, right? These, That's for example, yeah, yeah. feature maps, mm -hmm. you can call them. In principle, there's a set of features that you need to extract from each image. Yep. But then what you have to see is to track the changes in those features because the changes in those features will actually tell you something about this expression. Yep. And then how you do that, everything what you have about these features, you put in a certain machine learning technique, and that can be statistical machine learning, like support vector machines, right? This is old-fashioned. Or it can be something like neural network, right? This is also old fashioned, but currently we call it deep learning and that's new fashion. Rebrand. Right? Re exactly. <laughs> so in principle, what you want to get out of this machine learning is the interpretation of this facial expression. So for example, if I smile, the changes in the pixels around my mouth and my eyes will be such that they actually indicate this is the smile. So I will learn from many examples that this is how a smile looks like, right? Okay. So that's that's how the technology approximately works. Mm -hmm. And currently we are using, I actually don't like to say that, but we are using mostly deep learning for everything. And the reason is that um, the performance 
is uh, really incredibly better than other machine learning techniques. Uh, previously, we couldn't do that because the processing power was not there. Yes, I was going to say. Yeah. But yeah. now that's actually the memory, the capacity of the memory, the, the processing power, yeah. everything is now much better. So you can actually run these large networks mm. in real time. Mm. Previously, we couldn't do that. And you can get uh, uh, results which are in factors better than the results from standard machine learning. However, a big problem with the deep learning is the deep learning um, is not uh, uh, fully explainable. So things which are happening within this black box called deep network uh, are not uh, are very difficult to prove theoretically. So, so this is one of the problems that uh, that we face with the deep learning, and and, and that's because uh, a lot of these kind of feature maps and the the things that we're tracking in between, we don't necessarily know how that's been processed or what the relationships are that we, have been done because it's so many calculations. We do not even that were know done as part of that, right? We don't even know which features are taken. Okay. So let's start from that, because mm. currently I actually input into the deep network the whole region of the image which contains the face. Yeah. And which features are taken from that? Well, I have the no algorithm clue. completely chooses, right. Right? Okay. So sure, we can, you know, you can visualize certain things. We know that actually uh, there are certain kind of edges and curves that are, that are taken into account by convolutional neural networks. But in principle, you know, which exactly in what, what is the trigger to take something as a good feature or not? This is something that, in fact, everything happens uh, by itself. And we also do not know whether the features that, are, that, are, that you train the network on a set of images will be really applicable to another set of images. When we look at image recognition gone wrong, this is where we see kind of the example where you see kind of uh, people of color as, as gorillas or yes. you kind of don't spot that this there's This is because a, you know, we did, these yeah. are the so-called biases mm. because you didn't have in your training set enough of examples mm such examples that would actually tell these are also features that you have to take into account. Mm. You have to be very careful about the data that you use mm. and you have to, to clean this data very well so that there is no bias or to add the data that there is no bias. And once you have that, so you, you have unbiased data, which is like almost impossible, but mm. okay, if you have that, <laughs> mm. then in principle what you learn will be correct. Time for a break. Send me a message using the hashtag, hashtag Women Take Charge, and please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. There's some amazing use cases that you're working on. Um, should we start with the autistic children? Example. So um, one of the problems that that we have with uh, with autistic little ones is that they uh, miss something which we call gestalt. Gestalt is the ability of the brain to uh, see objects as a whole. So 
when they look into our face, they don't see the face as a whole. They see the eyebrows, they see the eyes, they see the mouth. And all these things, parts, mm -hmm. are moving in all possible directions. Mm -hmm. And, and mm. this is very confusing for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what is the reaction of the little ones? They don't look at our faces. What is the consequence of that? They don't learn when do we laugh. What is the laughter right. a, a reaction to? Okay. What is the frown reaction to? As another consequence, they do not know how to express when they are happy, when they are upset, when they are sad about something. Because okay. right? normally that's a cue that they'd have taken from learning from others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what we what we also know about autistic little ones is that they love technical things. They love robots. Okay. Because <laughs> they understand robots, they're predictable, mm -hmm. and they are set of very clearly logically combined parts. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. So. We thought, okay, let's try to teach the little ones what are the typical expressions one should show when. But I we see. do that with a robot. Right. And why we thought that this would work very well, because when you have a human teacher, human teachers, are they're very good. I mean, with, with teachers who teach uh, autistic children, they are exceptionally good. They know what they do. Mm -hmm. But still, we are only humans. So when we say, you know, and, you know, when I'm happy, I smile, what people do is emphasis. They raise the eyebrows, they open the eyes. Which and is so not a natural smile. Exactly. Yeah. So you're giving them the wrong data. So it, Exactly. <laughs> so the whole point is that the little ones still get confused because that's not a full smile. Yeah. And with the robot you can program. It's always a smile, mm. right? And nothing else. Mm. So this is what we were, what the whole idea was. Have a camera on the robot that would observe the child. Uh, if the child... Uh, you have a therapist next to the robot and the child. The, ch the, the therapist says, okay, uh, when you are happy, how you would, uh, what would be your reaction or what would be your facial expression? And then the, chi the child makes a facial expression. The robot would recognize this and say, okay, that means that that's what right. I would do as well. Yeah. <laughs> but if the child shows something which is not expected, the robot says, Hmm, let me show you how I will show, for right. example. Okay. You yeah. know. So this is this is the kind of, of loop, interactive loop, in which the little ones uh, really get excited about it and we believe uh, can learn much better about these expressions. So there's a lot of kind of good uses. Deep fakes, of course, is an, is another kind of element of, of your work, part of your remit. You know, we've seen the Obama videos, the Obama deepfake videos that circulated as kind of examples. We're entering an era in which our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time, even if they would never say those things. How about this? Simply, President Trump is a total and complete What are the good uses? What's, how, what problems do deepfakes solve? So what, uh, what we were originally interested in mm -hmm. is the lack of data. 
When you work with deep learning, one of the issues that you need to address is having a lot of data to train your networks on. Mm. When you now work with expressions and emotions, you simply don't have this data mm -hmm. because there is no such data. And it is very expensive to, to, to come up with, with this data because you have to label this data in terms of those emotions. And to do that, you have to have human observers who will right. watch all different data and annotate that. Okay. And we were thinking, okay, we are... You know, a group that works on, on AI, we know quite a lot about generative, uh, uh, generative adversarial networks. Generative and adversarial networks are fantastic for generation of new data. Why don't we try to generate new data, given that we know how we can learn how the expressions look like? So we just have to generate new data that would look like the data that we have, for which we do have annotation. So that's how the whole story starts. Oh my goodness. And we we came pretty far. Things that we we currently can do is are really impressive. We we can take in fact image of whomever, we can record the audio we want and make this person a video of this person from this photo speak whatever audio we recorded on spot. And what is that good for? Our idea of building more data for training of our programs for, for emotional speech. This is very important for us because, you know, uh, speech as such is understood by Alexa, by, by Google speech, by all these speech changes. As long as you do not have any emotional outbursts. The moment the speech becomes uh, emotional, the recognition rate falls down for 30 or plus percent. So you have to speak to Siri with no emotion. Absolutely. God, that's really, that's really low. And also if you are older and you speak to Siri, Siri will not understand you. And the reason is that the speech rate at which you speak is not a prototypical speech rate that actually middle-aged people oh use. So, the, so it is really interesting. And for that, we wanted, this is why we wanted so badly actually to, to, to generate, to generate exactly, and hence build actually the, the engines that would work better, you know, on emotional speech, on accents, on older speech, and so on. But we needed a tool to do this, but then right? We've created Frankenstein in order to but, do But of course, there is a lot of bad use. Yeah. Uh, another consequence of that is that we actually saw a lot of things how you can recognize that the video is fake. Yeah. So, and this is currently our main focus okay. to actually. Uh, help. There is a there is a large initiative by a number of companies and a number of uh, universities. At this point, are mm -hmm. mostly universities at United States, mm -hmm. and I think this is Facebook is also in. Um, uh, the, the reason is that they are preparing actually for elections, and that uh, they are very much afraid that, that these kind of videos could actually tweak the yeah, right. It will happen and it's coming. Yeah. So yeah. and they started this initiative of actually fake videos detection and we will try to help because we currently have this really good mechanism of generating, generating the, yeah. the videos. We learned on the way quite a lot of how you can recognize fake videos. 
So you are a pioneering lady, which is why I was, I was excited to have you here. You were working on this facial expression recognition in, in the 90s when, you know, before this 2016 big bang, right, of, of the rebrand of deep learning. Um, what do you think is coming next? I've got a quote here um, from you that says that you believe speech might be rendered unnecessary if brainwave to brainwave transmission aided by AI becomes reality. Yes. Um, what is coming next? Well, what uh, what I look well, I think that um, our thoughts are much uh, richer, and our uh, brain signals are much richer uh, than the the dictionary that we have to express those okay. thoughts and ideas. Right. We can actually catch these thoughts and ideas and waves with EEGs. And EEG stands for? For elect electrical and electromagnetic <laughs> or something, uh, <laughs> graphs, right? Yeah. So what it is... Which uh, is the brain waves. Which yeah. is, which, we, you have actually kind of electrodes uh, which are put... Uh, a top of your hair mm -hmm. it's like a kind of a cap that mm -hmm, you put mm -hmm. and then these electrodes are all over your 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 head and um, they can catch uh, the brain waves we had this at a hack once someone controlling a quadrocopter with their EC EEGs. Yes. Yes, the brainwaves. Yes. So very positive uses are actually using the brainwaves, for example, for prosthetics. So mm -hmm, you can mm -hmm. have a robotic arm or a robotic leg that you, that you can control with your brain. This yeah. is like straightforward thing. Yeah. However, exactly this gives me gives me an idea that in principle if you can catch these kind of signals you can probably catch much more of course we are just at the beginning of this mm -hmm. there is a lot of noise with which we have uh, to deal and uh, i mean all our facial expressions and movements are actually noisy but it's also how this eg is built nobody wants to wear these caps horrible <laughs> so the the issue is probably uh, to build something which looks like a gadget looks good like you know the Headphones earphones or something. exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. and then um, having you know uh, on that part of your head caught uh, electrical uh, the waves the of your brain waves the issue is however that i do not know whether we will have enough from just the central part of the head whether this should actually go on the ah, back of the and okay. so on and so forth so but if this would be possible what would happen is that we will be able to transfer these ideas in a raw format of the brain waves to somebody else and i think this Literally is brilliant reading mind this is brilliant isn't it because you don't have to put it into this very very narrow tube which is speech yeah which limits you horrifically mm. in the way you can express your ideas and your thoughts mm. right so literally everyone becomes a mind reader i think this is uh, you know i believe this is great but it has a lot of issues and one of the issues is that there will be no lies <laughs> lies will not be possible we will live in a post-lies world. There will be no more lies. Not <laughs> I, possible. I, I know that that's a rallying call <laughs> for homework to lots of people. Imagine a world with no lies. Wouldn't that be amazing? After post-truth, we have post-lies. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is not a better place in this conversation for us to end than with that 
that's homework. That's homework for our listeners. Go out, be that person. Maya's got it right several times before. I'm sure you're right on this one. Please come into technology. Come and be an engineer. Come and help us create a post-lives world. <laughs>